0: She had check-in questions like, what are you grateful for about yourself? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. (laughs) This is Daring to
1: Tell, the podcast where I invite writers to read their true stories of personal daring, then we talk about writing and life. I am your host, Michelle Rado. Nothing's gonna make me
0: brave and Nothing's gonna make me brave Nothing's gonna make me brave Except doing what makes me scared
1: When I was in high school, I loved mythology class. I loved all the names of the Greek gods and goddesses. There was Athena and Hermes. There was Agamemnon and crazy creatures like the Hydra and Cerberus and Polyphemus. Persephone was my absolute favorite. And I remember talking with my parents about loving mythology so much that I told them, when I grow up, I want to tell stories for my job. Well, how are you going to do that? They were curious to know. Well, I think I'll just set up on a street corner and tell people, give me $5 and I'll tell you the story of how Persephone becomes the queen of the underworld when she would marry Hades. Well, that was not necessarily the most realistic way to go about it, and I actually had no clue how to somehow turn that passion into a profession, but... I'm going to talk with someone else who did. Today, we are going to continue the conversation with Nadine Kenny Johnstone, my writing teacher and coach and also podcasting client for Heart of the Story. We will jump back into the conversation and hear the ways that her journal became absolutely part and parcel toward her becoming a capital W writer and, yes, having your first piece submitted to a literary journal get accepted is a great start. Here we go.
0: The first short story that I ever wrote and it got published in a literary journal was my sophomore year of college. So I wrote a novel when I was in fourth or fifth grade for our project called The Prisoner of Fate, Mm -hmm. but besides that, um, (laughs) and the only short story, the first short story that I ever wrote as a quote-unquote writer was my sophomore year of college, and I was talking to a person at a bar, and he was an aspiring writer. And I said, you know, I have stories in me. There's so much I want to write down and I keep a journal, but I don't know. And he says, there is a literary magazine that has a call for submissions. You just try sending something to them. And so I pulled out my journal and I wrote this short story Mm. in that journal because I only knew how to write longhand. I didn't. I didn't Mm. type. Like, I was just – I was so used to the journaling experience that – that it just only seemed natural that the journal would be the place where I would try this out and try out something that was kind of self-conscious, like, oh, I'm going to write a short story. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the first draft of that was in my journal, and it just felt very organic. Eventually, Hmm. I typed it up, and to my great surprise, it it got published. But it started a practice that, for me, that almost – Everything that I've ever written that is out in the world has started in my journal. Mm. And when I went to graduate school for an MFA in creative writing, we were not allowed to bring laptops. Laptops were not allowed. And so we had to write every single thing in longhand in our notebooks or journals. And they really stressed the journal as being something you keep with you at all times. And when you are on the L or you're on the bus or you're walking around Mm. and you see something and it's inspiring or it gives you pause, you write it in the journal. And you can also write your grocery list in the journal, but the journal becomes the, the container for the ideas. And so- A roundabout answer to your question is that the journal was always the starting place to my short stories and then my chapters and my essays and everything else because it was just ingrained in me. And I do think there's something that happens between the heart and the hand Mm -hmm. that is magical that just can't quite happen completely when you type i don't know there's mm. some processing that happens for me so the journal and the and being a writer like they go hand in hand i can't have one without the other
1: yeah that's really interesting because man i wish i would have gotten explicit instruction to like always carry this journal with you so that you can cuz that's the piece that i know i'm supposed to do and i know so many journalists and other writers who it's like they just have the notebook with them all the time. And I can't tell you how many blank tiny notebooks I have bought and carried. And
0: even when I do carry them around with me, I don't write it down. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, just know, know this. Don't feel bad because <laughs> now what I do, I mean, I just, you know, I just went for a walk on the beach, right? I'm not going to carry my, I'm showing Michelle my my journal. I'm not yeah. going to carry this eight by 10 or whatever size notebook with me. But what I do instead is that I have my phone with me typically when I'm out for a walk just for safety. And I have the notes section on my phone. And when I see something like, oh, that sandpiper doing that thing, that's Mm -hmm. a metaphor. There's something there. I don't know what it is. But so I'll go into the notes section and I have a document-labeled ideas or essay ideas, and then I put in Sandpiper. And so then later when I'm getting to the writing, I'll open up that list, and then I'll just kind of free flow in my journal. But I think that it can be a tool for writers, but for anyone who doesn't use the journal for writing, meaning literary writing, it's, it's okay. I don't think we should shame ourselves, but I think it's helpful to know that the journal could be a tool for many, many things. Right. So maybe it's a jump start for your writing, but maybe it's a place to see yourself, to fall back in love with yourself, to remember that you are wise beyond comparison. Like maybe it could also be that or only be that, but the journal is a tool that we could use. Right,
1: exactly. Well, I do use the notes section of my phone when I'm on my yeah. run or whatever I'm doing. So as you say, to try and save those moments, I can't tell you the number of times where I'm out and about or even just doing the dishes or whatever and I get a brilliant idea. And I usually would say to myself, oh yeah, I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I go back and then you're sitting with your, I sit with my laptop and I go, what was that thing again? You know, (gasps) and it does not come back. So twice this week I have said, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to go write it down. The first Mm -hmm. step is to pause in one's life, go over to the journal or even the laptop or maybe the phone and say, I'm writing down that little idea because now I know how that might fit in with something else. So. Yes. I have one more question, I think, before I ask you to read. And that is, was there a moment, and when was it, if there was, when you started thinking of yourself as a writer, capital W, writer? Mm,
0: Yeah. So I went to U of I as a nutrition major and I really thought I was going to be a nutritionist, a dietitian. I was very into health, and I just thought that's what I'll do. And then I took chemistry, and I nearly immediately was on academic probation <laughs> with a 1.8 mm-hmm. GPA. I mean, I went from being such a good student to being so not a good student in the course of like a few months in my freshman year of of college. And so when I came back home for Christmas break and my mom saw – My report card, which I did not know was being mailed home, she made it very clear very quickly that I'd better get my act together or else I was moving back home and paying for school and getting a job and all of those things. And so I thought to myself during that holiday break, like, what am I even good at? What do Mm -hmm. I even care about? And I certainly knew that math and science were not the route. And I, love libraries, and I love books, and I had been such a bookworm my whole life, and I had identified early on as a writer for mm. when I wrote that novel in elementary school, yeah. you know, just for a little project. So I knew that the writing vein was there, and so I thought, okay, well, let's see what I can do. And so I just looked at the other majors that I could switch to. And they didn't have like a creative writing major. They had an English major. And so I just thought, okay, well, at least that's the first step in the journey is to try this route. And long story short, at first, it was like a bunch of literature classes. And it was great and I was into it, but I was writing analysis, but I wasn't writing. Mm -hmm. And then I had that little short story published. And then I looked my junior year at the course catalog and saw that I could take creative writing class. And I happened to have one awful professor whose class I dropped immediately. Mm. And then I had an incredible professor at U of I who really championed our writing and my writing and who happened to mention to me that there was this thing called an MFA that you could go and get and that you could spend your entire graduate school time just writing. And it sounded like someone was saying, you can go play with butterflies for two years. And the (laughs) thought of it was so like, what, really? And I was the first one in my family to attend a four-year university. So I was not versed in Mm -hmm. what one does to apply to grad school or any of this. But I just knew that suddenly all of my friends were applying for jobs and I had no idea what I was going to do with this English major of mine. And I didn't want to teach elementary school or high school. And so I just knew I had to do something. And she kind of gave me a little tutorial about how to apply. And when I applied for grad schools. And finally got into a school in Chicago and started attending those graduate school classes. I ate, slept, and breathed. Writing. It suddenly became my whole world. Mm. I was living with my parents at the time. I would take the Metro train from the Burbs into the city the whole ride, thinking about the next story I was going to write. I would get off the train. I would go walk two and a half miles to Chicago Magazine, where I was doing an internship. And I would look at stories all day. And then I would try to see if I could help write a story. And eventually mm-hmm. I did. And then I would walk down Mag Mile to Columbia. And then I would have three hours of classes about stories. And then at night when I would take the bus back home to the train, I mean, story, story, story. That's when I finally felt like a writer because it was all I was thinking about mm. ever. And I loved it. Like yeah. I just loved being subsumed in story.
1: Yeah. Do you know what you just also like the ingredients in that story include walking, thinking, writing. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like this mix of stuff that helps all the stages of I think what writers do, which is you need the time immersed in the craft, perhaps a bit or in the um, exposure to what other stories are. You need that away time where your body is doing something else it was the perfect stew for you or for perhaps any writer i mean or many writers i would guess but that sounds absolutely fantastic and i can see how you just jumped right into it and uh and the idea that your first story submission got accepted oh boy no bigger um (laughs) no bigger high than that. It's like, oh yeah, I want more of that. That is
0: something, you know? Yeah. It's the little win that I didn't know I needed in order to propel me because the road after that was not smooth. And I got rejected from eight out of the 10 grad schools I applied to Waitlisted by two of them. Finally, the one I got into, I think they were just so sick of me badgering and calling the office every day that they accepted me. But regardless, I got in. So, I mean, it was not a smooth road to graduate school. So, that little win Mm -hmm. sustained me and gave me some ounce of confidence that I had something in me. And it's not that I walk around the world like doubting my writing capability. I don't ever claim to be the best writer in the world, but what I do know is that I can't not write. I just cannot not. Yeah. And so like the world, you're going to see my words whether you like it or not because I can't not do it. Right. And so it was like I was going to keep knocking on doors, but it was nice to have just that little little boost, little boost to buoy me.
1: But those moments absolutely are sustaining and one of the things I do believe is that the universe does drop us these little like, oh, here's a little crumb that is saying this is the right direction for you. Mm, And mm -hmm. um, one way to say that is that you followed your heart. Ah. (laughs) Dare I (laughs) I say,
0: you followed (laughs) your heart. I totally (laughs) did. I totally did. Yeah, there was um to really sit and look rationally at say the amount of tuition that an MFA costs versus the minimum mm-hmm. wage i was yeah. making as an yeah. intern you know on paper it doesn't seem rational at all but there was no doubt in my being that once i entered that little world that i knew these are my people. This is my place. This is what I've been missing. It felt like such a void filled that I just wanted to keep riding that wave forever. Well, shall we ride a little bit of that wave now? Yeah,
1: let's do it. (laughs) All right. So I am so, so thrilled and excited to have you read a chapter from your forthcoming book, Come Home to Your Heart, which is a guided journal for harnessing your inner wisdom and falling back in love with yourself. I would love to have you read chapter eight. You have a few sections. You have looking within, you have learning and expanding, you have dealing with healing when life doesn't go as planned, and you have charting a new course. And so this essay is at the very beginning of one of those most delightful stages of anything we go through, learning and expanding. <laughs> so whenever you
0: are ready. Yes. Triage. On a sunny Saturday in March, I took Geo to a playdate at the park. As he chased his preschool friends around the slide, I caught up with one of the other moms. We stood in the wood chips and chatted about life about the difficulties of juggling it all. She and her husband had been running their own business while raising their three daughters. On top of that, her husband had been temporarily transferred to D.C. for his other job. Last month, she said, he was gone for three weeks and home for one. I kind of fell off the face of the earth. She shook her head, traumatized by the mere thought of it. I never want to be separated like that again, she said. I bet, I said, you're just in pure survival mode. Exactly, she agreed. It's triage. It was such a fitting term that it stuck with me for the rest of the day. Back home, while Gio zoomed his trucks around our living room floor, I thought about what happens in hospital triage. The nurse asks each incoming patient a list of questions to assess the severity of the situation, then prioritizes who gets treated first and how. The goal is to save as many people as possible. Assess, prioritize, treat. How accurate a metaphor for life When we are in emergency situations, our needs inundate us, and we have to triage which ones are the most severe. I always got into trouble when I didn't properly triage. Even when my psyche was internally bleeding, I felt disconnected from Jamie, I talked sharply to Gio, I was bitter because I hadn't written in months, I concentrated my efforts on the thing that had a cold, my email inbox. When things got tough, I suddenly found it absolutely pertinent to organize my closet, unclog my pores, catch up on the latest reality TV, and search the internet for all-inclusive vacations. Again and again, I did this, putting important conversations and rest on the back burner, even when my soul was near death. It wasn't until I was barely functioning or my relationships were brittle That I paid attention. It's because the symptoms are harder to see. Sometimes the loudest patient gets the drugs, while the most suffering one quietly collapses in the corner. At the hospital, the nurses use something that we rarely think to utilize, the check-in questionnaire. So often, that's the missing step in our lives. We don't take the minute we need for assessment. But over the past decade, I've been learning the hard way that it's imperative for us to take our own temperature, scan our bodies, and acknowledge what's hurting physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Then, once we have identified the problem, we must tend to our most bleeding wounds, even if it means taking time out of our busy lives. So often, we avoid care because we know that it'll interrupt our schedules or take emotional effort. But if a loved one was sick, wouldn't we give them medicine or get them to a doctor? Then why do we avoid the very things that save us? Everyone has their breakthrough moment, and this was mine. A beautiful Sunday afternoon in September, three years after moving back to Illinois. Sun streamed in through our kitchen windows. I should have been enjoying the day off of work and the quality time with my family, but I was so anxious that as Jamie and Gio lounged on the couch, I paced the house like a caged animal. The university hadn't renewed my teaching contract yet. Gio would be in kindergarten next year, and we wanted to buy a home and a good school system for him. Jamie hated his job, and Gio cried every morning at his daycare, leaving me to wonder if it was typical separation anxiety or if they were torturing him. Things were tipping towards catastrophe. I was experiencing the kind of anxiety that ejects your soul from your body. You're physically there, but your mind and heart are on a high-speed rocket to planet panic. I couldn't hold my son or hug my husband because my own worry was so palpable that I felt like I was going to hyperventilate. I went for a walk to the nearby park, a place I loved so much. Its willow trees and brown eyed Susans usually calmed me, but not that day. Panic had won. I was the puppet, and fear was tugging the strings, manipulating my every thought and movement. It made me feel both that I had no control. Something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. It made me feel that I had ultimate control. If I'm hypervigilant enough and I constantly stand guard, I can prevent bad things from happening to my loved ones and me. I can get my boss to renew my contract. I can magically find a great house in a top school system. I can make Jamie happy. I can keep Geo safe. Panic told me, that the solution was easy. Don't eat, don't sleep, worry all the time. It's simple, Panic said. You can win the battle. All you have to do is give up being a present participant in your very own life. Even in this prison, this solitary confinement, there was another voice. It was gentler, full of support and surrender. You can't do this anymore, sweetheart. Ask for help. How was it that every week I dedicated hours of my life to unloading the dishwasher and folding clothes, yet I designated zero time beyond yoga class to any other form of self-care? Was my own well-being not worth the hours? I walked home and opened up to Jamie, and when I saw the concerned look in his eyes, I decided right then to make a change. I would put As much attention into healing myself as I put into the other areas of my life, and I would find someone to help me. The following week, I entered a holistic health center for the very first time. When my practitioner, Ann Baker, emerged to bring me back to her office, her presence struck me. She had a gray bob and hazel gray eyes. It was immediately clear that she was a tender, wise soul. She wore flowy clothes and seemed to float as we headed down the hallway. Her office was a cozy nook that smelled of lavender oil. I sunk into a comfy chair in the corner, took off my shoes and sat cross-legged. Perched across from me, Anne led me through a grounding meditation and then asked what had brought me to her. She listened intently as I dumped out all of my life's woes. She breathed in slowly through her nose, and her whole body rose with the inhale. Then she exhaled deeply. It makes a case for mindfulness, doesn't it? She said. If we can't control the past or the future, then it makes experiencing the present moment really important. Truly, she added, it's all we have this moment now her words heated my entire body partly because i rarely lived in the moment but the other part held hope because from then on i could thank
1: you so much for that that is it makes me want to take a deep breath <laughs> i love that these essays are um I read them all as like little parables. Like, okay, mm-hmm. what am I going through? What is this gonna be? How can I deal with it? And I never get the feeling that at the end you're like, Oh phew, now that was fixed. It's <laughs> sort of like, okay, well now I live in the <laughs> no. present moment. And then I still go, Oh my god, nothing's doing what I think it should. Um, but I mm-hmm. love your candor about the anxiety that you experience, and I relate to a lot of (laughs) anxiety as well, Mm -hmm. and the real desire to just, okay, if I just do this and just do that and just do that, everything is really going to be okay. And I don't know, the sad thing is like, just because everything doesn't go as terribly as we might anticipate doesn't mean that that was us holding it all together. You know what I mean? It's a little bit like, (laughs) okay, just because that doesn't happen doesn't mean that that was the right thing to do. Anyway, one of the many things that I loved about this piece and that I made um, little marks about, I was experiencing the kind of anxiety that ejects your soul from your body. That's a really powerful, not only thought, but observation. I have been listening to a lot of mind-body stuff lately that was basically like saying anxiety or disconnect or mental anguish comes from a place of our bodies and our minds not being attentive on the same thing at the same time. And I talk with one of my friends about how much she loves doing jigsaw puzzles. And we both were like, oh, my God, because you just all you're thinking about is the puzzle piece, the shape, the color, looking for this. And I've always been very frustrated by puzzles. But I feel like when I finished it, I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I have been to a tropical island for (laughs) 20 minutes or something Mm -hmm. because it does have that effect of aligning body and mind. So I just want to say kudos <laughs> for not you know I mean that's huge wisdom to harness and clearly in this you mention your mentor your spiritual mentor and Baker who I know you've talked about before and what she's done for you and that's what I thought about <laughs> after hearing and reading this piece and I guess one of my questions Is really about rituals and the rituals we create for ourselves. What's one of
0: your rituals? What's a really meaningful one for you? Yeah. Well, when I left that very hard Sunday and decided to make a change, I felt so overwhelmed because I had no idea where to turn. It was like, I didn't even know what I needed. I just knew I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And I'd been dealing with anxiety my entire life, but I didn't want to be near panic attack and or having panic attacks, which I have had. And so it was kind of one of those, like, I do not, I cannot feel this way anymore. And so when I, by chance, did some Google search and went to this one place that didn't work out at all. But like the second person I found was that I called this holistic center. And they were like, I think Anne does something that might help you. And I was like, sure, I'll talk yeah. to her. I was just so open to talking to anyone about anything that when I met her and she had me really assess my emotional health and spiritual health, this was new. This was new for me because I was paying attention to what I was eating. I was paying attention to moving my body. As I already talked about, I was, I was tuned into health. But I had completely negated my emotional health and my quote unquote spiritual health. I thought spiritual meant religious. I didn't know that it could be anything mm-hmm. else. And so one of the first sessions, she said, I want you to go home. And I want you to, in your journal, assess on a daily basis where you are, physically sure, mentally sure, but also emotionally and spiritually. I was like, what what does that mean spiritually? Mm. (laughs) And she was like, your soul, how do you feel in your soul, in your being? And I was like, crap, I've got a lot of work to do. I don't even (laughs) know. Like, I don't, I don't, not even speaking this language. (laughs) And so I would go to that same park where I had a near panic attack. And I loved it because it has these beautiful brown eyed Susans and willow trees. And I would go every Sunday, I started creating a ritual for myself. I would bring my journal and I would bring headphones to listen to some relaxing music. And I would go sit on a bench and watch Mm -hmm. the sunset. And I would gauge my emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical health. And she had other check-in questions like, what are you grateful for about yourself? And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It was these wonderful journal questions that I had never, ever considered. And I had been journaling my whole life. And so it became really a check-in, a triage check-in. Like where am I even at emotionally? What am I feeling? How do I feel in my being? Do I feel settled? Do I feel calm? Do I feel connected to nature, to the energy all around me? I think before then I felt like this detached balloon of – I was just a head, yeah, a, a head, yeah. a brain going yeah. around the world. Right. So that ritual of the check-in became my Basis. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing it more regularly. Like I was still journaling, but I started doing that check in. Where am I at today on a scale? And what am I grateful for about myself? And what hard conversations am I avoiding? Mm -hmm. What's eating away at my insides? Like, what is the source of this? deep panic that I'm feeling. What is the source of it? What is contributing to it? And so that ritual of checking in became everything. So daily today, it looks like most mornings I am meditating. And then in my journal, I'm writing that letter to self and I am in my meditation and in my journal checking in on all those levels. Mm -hmm. Where am I at? What needs tending? Yeah and what am i going to prioritize what am i right. going to hold up as the thing that needs the most love from me today and sometimes it's that i have to really attend to my marriage like oh we're distant right now sometimes it's ah i have been not breathing mm-hmm. <laughs> like i've been holding my breath yeah. oh you know what i overbooked my calendar yet again i i need to manage that better so the check-in has become a daily ritual that has sustained me and helped me immensely.
1: Wow. I love how you seek the help that you are needing, like you realize it. You go, okay, I need some help. And then, I mean, obviously you had to find the person that worked for you because there was someone that was like not the right thing Mm -hmm. to start. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, Anne worked for you. And then you actually did it, you know, like you followed Mm. through, like you, you took the instructions and you, you ran with it and it's become a whole new thing. You know, like it seems like it's taken on a life of its own and that is like a valuable part of your daily
0: life. It has completely shifted everything. I mean, I was a professor at a university. I was a writer and I would not have, consider like wellness a part of any mm-hmm. of that stuff yeah and now my entire everything my my way of life my way of writing my way of teaching leading retreats it's all a blend now of wellness and writing together because that, has been so impactful that it has seeped into every part of my being, how I parent, how I talk to my son, like how I am as a wife, everything Mm -hmm. It has shifted everything. Yeah. Another thing that I love
1: is how you seek out possibilities that you didn't know were there before, Mm -hmm. like the MFA creating the rituals. I think that, um, I don't know. I also identify very much with saying, oh, um, I didn't grow up knowing all the possibilities that are out there in the world. (laughs) just kind Mm -hmm. of, um, "Hmm, I'll just go and do what I think that is in front of me to do every day. But taking the time to stop and explore and learn and discover, oh, what what does it mean, my spiritual health? Because I have similar questions about that. I had a different experience growing up with an idea of spiritual health that sort of turned me in the wrong direction. And so I'm trying Mm -hmm. to get turned around in the right direction, Um, have been. But I do think that there's something about that turning inward to learn something new that points us in the direction again of ourselves somehow. I don't know. It's a very involved and complex journey. And I think to take it back to the journal, that's been the place where it's all kind of come together. And now you are offering not just... What worked for you, but like some specific questions, and and this is not a journal that's just like, okay, now write your thoughts. You know, no, you 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 have got questions. (laughs) Nadine has some real questions for you, and you better sit down and start thinking about these answers. Because no, but it's great. So I have a two pronged question about that. Why don't we first go with like, tell me a little bit about the guided journal part of this book.
0: Yeah. So when I finished writing my memoir of This Much, I'm Sure, I didn't know what the next book project was. But because I'm a writer, I couldn't not write. And so I just was writing these little essays. One day, this idea of a title came into my head and it was Home is in Your Soul. And I was like, "Mm, that's cute. And then I didn't realize that literally I would be sent on a journey of finding home (laughs) and that. From there, we would live in like seven different places in many different states, and we would go on the road for three months in a airstream. Mm, like, Yeah. Didn't know that home would be such a loaded word. And so I was just writing these little essays, and I didn't know what to make of them, and I just kept compiling them. And then as the pandemic was happening – I just felt the need to start at least reading some of them. And then you came, I mean, we had known each other, but mm-hmm. you were, like had this little side note, like, P.S., I'm, I'm a producer. Yeah. <laughs> and so we started working together. Yeah. And so I just felt the need to start reading some of them aloud. And just naturally, when I went to go record me reading them out loud, I couldn't help but then talk about them afterwards and then give a meditative reflection. It just seemed like a natural component because I never wanted to be just here, here's my story. I then wanted to turn to the reader to give them time to think about their own life and never prescribe, I'm not giving advice, but just offering questions that open up lots of internal conversations for the reader or listener. And so that just kept happening. And I was like, if that feels so natural, from an auditory sense, why can't that be on the page? And so I started adding these journal questions after each essay, and it just seemed to fit in my mind, the two paired completely together, because I always feel that when I'm reading a good book, especially if it's one that's really kind of thought-provoking and reflective each time I'm wanting to write notes about my own life and like, okay, how does this affect me and what have I learned? And And so I was like, why not give the reader space for that right there in the book? And so that's how the journal component of it was formed. And then I realized that when I feel most at home, It does not matter if I am in the Midwest, on the East Coast, in the South, on the West Coast. doesn't matter if I'm in an apartment or a camper or wherever. It is when I feel in touch with myself and I'm seeing myself. That's where I Mm. feel home. Mm. And so then that's where the come home to your heart came in. And that felt right. That is just so perfect and definitely leads to the second
1: part of my question or comment, which is... My observation in in knowing you for quite some time now. I think we started working together around 2018, maybe so. Mm, quite mm-hmm. some time, yeah, yeah. And you are such an innate teacher. Like you mm-hmm. are a te- your stuff you're made up of is a teacher. I feel like in many of your podcast episodes, even though this is not the intention or the directive of the podcast. You're like, now here's your homework. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go do this. So what is teaching to you?
0: Like, what do you love about teaching, Nadine? Oh, my God. Um, Just as I can't imagine not writing, I I don't know. It's so ingrained. And it's funny because what I just said was at the end of college, I was like, oh, a lot of my friends are going to get these teaching jobs. And I had no interest in teaching little kids. But as soon as I was in graduate school and there was a teacher training component, a minor you could get to teach creative writing, I was like, if my professors have had this much impact on me – to be a part of that, that would be so interesting. And so it just took one class to just try it out. And we did the very thing that, you know, I was like, no thanks, which was that we went, I think we went into a second grade classroom and taught Mm. creative writing. Right. Um, And I still knew that I wanted to teach adults, but just being able to talk about something that I loved and be a facilitator, and orchestrator, but not just open up a space for somebody to do it. But I'm just kind of a guide. That felt so right that I was like, okay. So I'm like, I'm going for this. And I think it's because as a kid, I was such a nerd. I loved homework. I loved like, (laughs) I was the hand raiser. I was the whole, yes, please give me the handouts. I love learning. I love learning so much. Like if I ever retired which I don't think I ever will because I just want to keep doing this forever. I would just want to learn, 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 and keep learning. So the learner in me, I think, just innately comes out as a teacher too, but I'm always still learning. So this is not an eloquent answer to the (laughs) question, but it is just a part of me when it comes to things that I'm passionate about, I can't mm. help but go, get some of this. Come on, come, come on. Right. right. <laughs> you too. <laughs> exactly. Well, the enthusiasm
1: is like you say, if you love learning, the enthusiasm that corresponds with that is, I just learned this thing. You should check this out. Try doing this thing, whatever it is. It's the sharing that is the reciprocal event of that somehow that just infuses so much joy and passion and like it's just effervescent within you so that comes out in what I hear in your episodes and certainly on the page as well because it's like you genuinely care about the person who's going to be filling it out and you're actively thinking about it I can just tell so oh yeah you yes you are the person Nadine is hoping will. <laughs> (laughs) fill this out right away, you know?
0: You have no idea how much I have thought of you and what you might need from this book. Like, (laughs) I edited the journal questions just as much as I edited the essays. Like, I was like, oh, I'm repeating myself here. They're not going to get anything new out of that question. New – have to take this a different way. Okay, how can I help them go deeper here? I mean, I was just like (laughs) – these journal questions were very purposeful. And I also, to prepare for them, I wrote a whole list of like what has helped me the most, what questions have helped me in my journal. I mean, I, I did a lot of homework on the journal questions. They weren't just willy-nilly. They were very purposeful.
1: Yes. The journal questions here are so great. They're just so tailored to different types of learning experiences. So yes, the full teaching effect <laughs> is on strong in this book. And then my... Question for you that I usually ask most people before we wrap up is what was daring about this one for you, Nadine? about the whole book or about this piece? <laughs> um, this piece I can imagine, but may but maybe about the book like
0: was it's a different type of book, yeah, what was daring about doing a book like this? Yeah, so different from my memoir, like my memoir just innately was very dramatic because a lot of traumatic things had happened. And so that one, you didn't have to really much play with plot because it had more than enough plot going on. And so when I started writing these, I'll call them softer pieces, I was a little self-conscious because they're not necessarily literary. They aren't dramatic most of them. They are like these little life moments that might seem super mundane to other people, but it had a very profound effect on me. So it was like, oh, this thing happened at, at a painting date night with my husband. Anybody could have blinked and missed it, but here's what was going on internally inside of me. Oh, I jumped on the trampoline with my son and he's just thinking we're having a good time and I'm near crying because I'm so full of gratitude in this moment. So it's like these little life moments that were so profoundly impactful to me that it felt daring in the opposite sense that I'm like, I'm writing about the softest, most subtle moments that could seem almost just like nothing to other people. But I wanted to show how they changed my life, each of them in little ways. They changed the way I look at the world. They changed the way I interact with my people. And so it felt daring to change up my entire style of writing and write non-dramatically and Mm -hmm. to go in this more spiritual vein and to I don't know, just be okay with writing from the heart, even if it's not a thriller or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And be okay with that because when you – go to graduate school for creative writing and you hear about these different awards or you look at like just the literary world in and of itself can be a shockingly competitive place. And Mm -hmm. um, there's a certain like expectation or the, oh, did you hear so-and-so did this and did that. And so to kind of go like, I don't give a hoot about any of that. And I want to write something that helps me from the heart and might help other people. It felt good, but a little like, okay, I am forging a a totally different path than probably most of my graduate comrades have gone. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs>
1: that is perfect because I do think it's an incredibly daring thing to go in a different direction and to say, you know what, this direction I'm going in now, I'm not going to keep doing the things that people expect me to do or that, that people on a path similar to mine say I should go on. Yeah. So yeah, that's perfect. And, 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 I wrote down also a mosaic. Mm -hmm. You know, each one is its own little work of art, but there's also a huge picture that comes from the whole swath of them as well. Well, huge, huge, huge congratulations to you on this book, Nadine. It is beautiful, and I can't wait to get my official copy. (laughs) Um, I got my preview, which I'm very excited (laughs) about. And Thank you. Thank you for writing it. And thank you for um, being such an incredible partner with me. I feel like, you know, I feel like a partner with you on your podcast. You are fully the creative forger and director of everything but I I love supporting your vision and it's really fun to do and if anybody does not know Nane's podcast well of course you must go listen to it the heart of the story comes out every week unlike daring to tell which takes you know so long to get those ones out one other short thing sorry to cut you off that I was going to say is I feel like the other lesson of what you've done is in a creative sense, the lesson of just doing, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm sort of feeling my way around with what, it's sort of the content and the process at the same time. Like, I'm going to figure out where I'm going by doing it, not by sitting around and trying to decide. Like, you're not that floating head anymore. You are a fully formed soul and body together going in a direction with this. And it, Feels that fully formed thing to go in the direction that you are following your heart. So, again, thank you.
0: Well, I have major gratitude to share with you because I really don't know if the book would exist the way it is without you, because you are the one that made the whole podcast possible. If I didn't have a producer and didn't have a skilled, heartfelt producer who got me and my vision, Mm -hmm. like it, the podcast wouldn't exist first off. And the podcast was the basis for the book. And so if you weren't in this with me, I don't I don't think this book would exist <laughs> truly. So wow. it would be something very, very different. So you are in my acknowledgments page, but I wanna thank you. I, I wanna acknowledge you person to person for thank just you. everything because what listeners don't know is just the heart, heart work that goes in behind the scenes of any creative endeavor and for a couple of years I had been writing in my journal, like, I don't want to go it alone anymore. Oh my God, I could get teary-eyed. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to go this creative path alone anymore. It can be so lonely. And then here you came. Oh. And I feel so lucky to have a collaborator that I could talk with every week and shoot ideas off of and score, like put beautiful music to my essays and like just see me for who I am and try to bring my vision to life. So I'm so grateful for you. I'm so oh, grateful baby. to collaborate with you and for you to, um, be a part of my life. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much that I
1: can't even tell you how much that means to me because it's like a happy spiral that goes right back at you. Cause I can't tell you how much I love it. I, I love bringing your vision to life. I love scoring those stories. Yes. It's like, it is, um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on Daring to Tell. And I, uh, I don't even know. I, can't, I have a horrible time ending things. So <laughs> I will just say, thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: <laughs> Aww. Oh, indeed. That was a pretty amazing acknowledgement to receive, I must say. Scoring Nadine's essays, that is one way I never envisioned my English major turned music major self coming to fruition. If you have not heard her podcast, Heart of the Story, well, it is one of my great joys to produce for her. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, as well as a link to her website where you can see the classes and retreats she has coming up. And of course, her book, Come Home to Your Heart, will be open for pre-order any day now, so I hope you will go order that as well. It is a beautiful book-guided journal written so lovingly with you in mind i know that it will be something that will be of value to you thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode i will confess i'm a little behind at the moment i am actively scouting some new books and new writers to bring you next but i am not entirely sure what will pan out before the first tuesday in march if anything I will do my best, but if I fall short, I hope you will be on the lookout for whatever happens next. I promise I am working on a few things, including my newsletter. If you go to my website, MichelleRado.com, you can sign up for Hit Pause, my monthly musing, somehow related to this month's podcast episode. People tell me they really enjoy it, so maybe you will too. Thank you very much to my musician husband, Phil Rado, who wrote and performed my theme music, Make Me Brave. And of course, my biggest thanks go to you for daring to listen. I will catch you soon for the next story.
0: And nothing's gonna break my fall. There's nothing in the protocol. It's like swimming up waterfall. Taking away the ground Taking away the ground It's like taking away the ground